Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. But what I want to talk about today, and actually what we're going to end up talking about the next few weeks, has to do with kind of expanding on that idea. The, the truth is that word Selah, as we use that in worship and take a moment to stop and reflect and create a space through which to respond to God, that's something we do in worship, but that is not the only area of life that needs space, right? And what I believe is every area of our life needs margin. It needs space to respond to God. And, and what happens is... Um, when it comes to our lives and the different areas of our life, it's the spaces of our life are the places where God is actually able to move. And so we're kind of launching into this brand new series called Making Space, all right? So let me just pray as we move into this, and I'll kind of catch you up here. Father, we thank you. We thank you for a brilliant morning. We thank you for the greatness of your majesty and reminding us of that. And even as we took a moment, just a minute ago, to stop and to, to back away, to kind of contract from the moment, to allow the moment to breathe, I thank you, Father, for each and every one of us. There's places in our lives, Father, where you're wanting to restore to us and help us recover a lifestyle of Selah, a lifestyle of being able to find you in the spaces. And I believe it's something you're stirring in us and something that you're building into us as your people. And this morning as we open up your word, we, we, we thank you that you're always faithful to speak, that your word never returns void. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, here's the deal. I really, my intention is not to make you envious, all right? I'm going to say something, and I don't want you to leave in a fit of jealousy. But my wife and I got to spend a few days in Oklahoma the last few days, okay? <laughs> and it was pretty amazing, right? And uh, we thought it was pretty fascinating that we would get on a plane and fly to Oklahoma and then turn on the news and to see that Colorado got all the tornadoes, Right? <laughs> And you explain that one to me. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> but we show up to Oklahoma, and it's, it's definitely, it's hot, it's sweaty, it's humid, just your, your skin feels thick, right? I mean, just the whole thing, it's not, not my favorite, but it was definitely sunny. It definitely felt like the beginning of summer. And I love, I love the beginning of summer. I love kind of when it feels like the official start to the summer. I've always loved summer. You're probably like me, where, you know, as a kid... It's pretty amazing, kind of growing up in grade school, you pretty much your whole year, the whole rhythm of the year revolves around when summer's coming, right? And it's all kind of a countdown. Because we equate summer with freedom, right? Like when you're going through grade school, I mean, you're just, you're just, you're just counting down the days. There's only a few different events, you know, your birthday and Christmas and, and you know, the end of school, because we know that that three months in the middle of the summer is like, you know, things are about to open up, and nobody's telling me what to do, I have space to do what I want, Right? And then I, I remember how I had to make that shift a little bit later on when I graduated high school because then, you know, I, I graduate high school and I, I'm an adult now and I had been working, but, you know, I, I was excited, you know, because we're not only, is summer coming, but the end of school is coming. That's a whole other reason to get excited and I'm, 
And I'm really celebrating that until Monday showed up and I realized that I guess I need to do what everybody else does. Like, I guess adults grow up and actually have to do things during the summer, right? We actually have to work. And so, you know, as a kid, it was like this thing of this place that just opened up and this thing. And then, you know, later on, we know, like, no, actually, you've got to be productive. Like, so take that as a note, all of you high school grads. Like, we love you. Don't mean to rain on your parade, but you, you need to get a job, right? You need, you need to work that. But, you know, and so... You learn to, you know, over time, we learn to fill in that space. That, you know, we had to actually be productive during that space, that summer months. But even for those of us in, in the summer, maybe it is a time, especially for those of us who, live, you know, you know we, we all moved to Colorado, probably most of us here. I, I've met, I meet very few, few people who are actually from Colorado originally. Most of us are from, like, Indiana and Illinois, Oklahoma, right? We realize that Colorado is part of the United States, and they take dollars and speak English here. And so we just pack up and move, right? Because that's, that's what we do. It's a better state to live in, right? And so that's why we're here. And we live for the summer because there's all kinds of things to do. So, and so some of us are really good at actually maximizing the summer months, right? And we plan it out. And so on kind of the flip side, you know, it does open up for some of us. But have you ever had the feeling where, um, you know, like, I think probably all of us have experienced this to some degree, where you're trying to maximize your open space during the summer, like your vacation time, and in an attempt to make it as efficient and as, you know, maximize as possible, like every second of the thing is end, end, ends up being kind of planned out, and we're going to do this, we're going to see this, we're going to do this this summer and go here, and the whole thing, and then you come back from your vacation and you desperately need a vacation. See, you got it, right? And I think all of us have experienced that. Like, I rested so hard, I just need to come home and relax, right? And uh, it's, a, it's a strange thing. And, and uh, but, you know, and, and that happens, you know, right? I mean, that, that can happen for a season where we just maximize a period of time. We fit as many things as we can into a, a certain period of time. And, and, you know, and we can handle that for weeks or even a month or maybe even a summer or whatever. But, I think for a lot of us, when we actually, you know, you think about your life maybe, or lives of people you know, people in your family, friends, the reality is it's not just a summer thing that that happens, right? Like, it's, it's an all-of-life thing now, where we've become accustomed to a pace and a lifestyle where an attempt to maximize every possible moment, all the space in every different area of our life ends up getting filled in, right? And I'm not just talking about schedule, I'm talking about the other spaces that we're called and entrusted to protect as well. And so, yeah, surely we're talking about schedule and the minutes of our day and the way we spend our time, but we're also talking about your budget and, 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 and the fact that we can go through seasons where every dollar is accounted for. Like, it's already spent before it even comes. I mean, you might even be a few paychecks out and all those dollars already have something, you know, it's assigned to, right? Where there's no space there. Or even when it comes to relationships, right, where... You know, our commitments and the people that we want to keep happy, the, the relationships we're trying to manage and trying to meet expectations become so much that the people that we, we love and we're, we're called to, the ones that we're called to steward and spend our time with, we, we lose the space there in that moment. And we hear this in all kinds of ways, right? Um, we hear this in our conversations um, and it's, it's just wild because when summer used to be about slowing down and this idea of it's going to open up, right? Now it's like this idea of it's actually, no, no life is actually speeding up and, f- and filling up and, 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 and being used up all around, right? And we hear this in the way we talk. Um, 
you probably had a conversation like this this morning, right? It may even been with me, all right? I'm just going to th- just throw my hand up in the air. I'm right, I'm right in the conversation here. When we ask each other how we're doing these days, we, it's not uncommon for us to hear things like, oh man, it's just been crazy lately, right? It's just been crazy. I, I just can't even, it's just been hard to keep up with everything, right? It's just been one thing after another. We hear that one, right? And then, and then, you, you know, usually it's followed up by a statement, something like this. Um, but, you know, it, it should be, I'm expecting it to slow down. It should be slowing down soon. Or, you know, once we get past this event, right, things will even out. Once, we get, once I get past this project, or we get past this trip, then all of a sudden this space will open up, right? Once, once I get that raise or that job comes through or that type of thing, then, you know, we're going to be easier on the budget, right? Or I'll be able to spend more time at home. Or you kind of name it what that looks like. But you and I are both smart in this way. I know that you, you've seen this. Because if you pay attention, those conversations that you've had with people, you know, this morning or this last week, you know, talking about how things are about to ease up. If you probably, probably if you can imagine, like maybe a month ago, you had the same conversation with that person. And a month ago, things were about to ease up, right? A month ago, they were just about to get past this hill and then think things are about to open up. Or you can even think about six months ago, they were saying the same thing, or maybe you were saying the same thing. There's always, seems to be this idea that if we can just get somewhere else and we can just kind of ride this out a little bit longer, space is going to open up in my life for me to be able to breathe and for things to be able to function as they're supposed to function. But you know this, but it's worth repeating. It's worth recognizing the idea is this, though, you know this, life rarely slows down on its own. Life rarely eases up on its own. And the big idea is if we're waiting for life to give us permission to have space, you're going to be waiting a really, really long time. And so that is coupled, though, with the idea, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but why space is so important. But again, I said it earlier, the spaces in your life are the places in your life where God is able to move and God is able to speak and God is able to to respond and you're able to respond to him. And so making space in our life is something that we have to talk about because if we don't talk about it, what's going to happen? We're going we're gonna to go with the current. And what is the current? The current is whatever culture tells us. Whatever culture tells us is you need to use up every possible thing that you have and every reserve and every part of your life on yourself and use it up and try to maximize in that. But you and I both know when we maximize our life, sometimes that's the fastest route to lose control of our lives. Yeah? So, so I'll get the scripture in here in just a second. I'm just still setting this up. Making space is about creating margin, okay? This word margin is a really important one. You're going to hear it over the next few weeks. Margin is the amount of whatever is available beyond what is needed, okay? The amount of whatever is available beyond what is needed. And let me just talk to you two kind of examples of margin, okay? I'm a musician. I love music. I love music, right? And, uh, Here's the, here's the phenomenal thing about music. You think about the most beautiful pieces of music that you know of. What makes music music? You know, most people, you know, we, the, the right kind of first answer, I guess, is the notes, right? It's, it's, the, it's the notes that are played and the harmonies and the melodies. 
And, you know, when you look at a musical score on a, on a sheet, you know, for those of you who do the sheet music thing, you know, you see the notes on the page. But what makes music beautiful is not just the notes, it's the spaces in between the notes, right? In fact, one of the most powerful kind of musical symbols that we know of is actually not even a note. It's, it's called a rest. It's a rest note. Because what it's doing, it's getting room for the moment to breathe. Do you know... Do you know what music is called that has no space between the notes? It's called noise or heavy metal, right? (laughs) Some people do that. You know what? Awesome. If that's you, go for it, okay? But when you start eliminating the spaces in between notes, it gets a little foolish. Now, nobody would advocate for that, though, right? Nobody listens to a a four-and-a-half-minute song on the radio and says, man, in that four and a half minutes, I've heard all kinds of places. If they just put some more notes in those in-between places, they could really maximize this song, right? They could get more notes into this song. And if more notes means better music, then yeah, then let's do that. But we know that that's not what that means. You, know, you can just keep adding things to it, right? But here's what we know, even, even about the creative process. I love studying the creative process. I love creativity. And there's, a, there's a writer, a French writer, he said it like this, you know, a work of art... It's not done when there's nothing more to add. It's done when there's nothing more to take away, right? And it's true with music, but it's also true with life. Now, that sounds kind of idealistic. We'll get to that in a second. But the reality is what makes a piece of, of music beautiful is not just the notes, the spaces between. It make, helps you make sense of what's actually being played in the first place, right? And then you know this about margin, Even some of you brought your Bibles today. Um, You probably even have this on your electronic device. You open up to any page, any book you have, and you're going to see right on the edge of the page, there's going to be white space all the way around, right? All the way around the words. That's what we call margin. Now, imagine what it would look like if your Bible, it was just edge to edge with words, right? It would be hard to read. It would be hard to enjoy. But again, you you know, we could do the thing like, hey, listen, we could... We could be super efficient. We could save 60% of the paper used to print this thing if we just took out all the spaces and all the sides and all the things around it, right? But you know that if we did that and you open up a book like that, nobody wants to read that book. It's hard to even make sense of what's going on there because margins are what help frame in the content. Margins actually milk, make, help make sense of what is actually there so you can kind of see where you're at. And once you start losing the margins... It's hard to really even interact with a book like that. And I would say this, to take it even a step further, some of you, especially in your Bibles, you've developed a habit that as you're reading the Word of God, and a scripture you know, jumps out to you, and you not only under- underline it and highlight it, but you take a pen, and some of you, and you, you're looking at your Bible even today, and you see little scribbles that you wrote down. Now, you didn't write it over on top of the words. Where did you write it? In the margins, Right? And I would say even that is another good way to understand this, that margins are the places, again, where you can actually respond to what the text is actually saying. And I I think probably for a lot of you, the things that you're writing down in the margins of your Bible are the insights and the traction points. That's the breathing room, even in your relationship with the Lord, where he can speak and show you what a text means. Are you guys tracking with me? So margin, it's, 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 a, it's a fascinating thing. When you start looking at your life through the lens of spaces, through the lens of, of margins, through the lens of, of breathing room, 
The same is true in every part of our life. Beautiful lives, enjoyable lives, lives that seem to make sense are ones where there's intentional space created and that space is stewarded well, okay? Now, what happens is when we live every area of our life to the limit, when we push out, when we maximize every, everything we're doing, we're living at the top of our budget and even beyond, right? When you're like filling up the calendar so much that it's like you're barely able to fit it on like in a day, you know what happens. When you start living every area of your life to the limit, at some point you quit enjoying your life, right? And there's a few things that happen. We lose our ability to appreciate what it is we do have. Have you ever been through like a day? And, and, and I, I'm not even going to ask you because I know it's true, okay? I'm not even, it's not even a rhetorical question. You've been through this day before where you've had back-to-back things all day, and at the end of the day, somebody asks you, what did you do today? I have no idea, right? Like you're trying to even remember the day, and it's like it just went by, and that's exactly what we're talking about. When we, when we fit everything we can into every possible space, it loses, we lose our ability to value each and every moment, right? And then the second thing that happens is we end up losing perspective, and we actually get a narrowed focus. And the best way to describe this is if, you know, I'm up on stage, and I'm, you know, four feet, you know, from the edge of the stage. I can talk to you. I can think about what I'm saying. I'm not worried about anything. I can just focus on the message here, right? But as soon as I start approaching the limit, as soon as I start getting to the edge, right, all of a sudden, I'm getting a little nervous, you're getting a little nervous for me, right? Because this, this could go badly, right? Like this is about to be like a YouTube video posted this afternoon. Pastor falls off the stage, right? So, but what, so when I approach the limit, I, now I, I can't think as clearly about what it is I'm here to do. I'm just worried about not falling off the edge, right? Everybody nod. <laughs> and you know what that feels like. You know what that feels like to just be on the brink of walking off the edge. And you're not, you're not even thinking about what you're doing anymore. You're just thinking about not exploding, right? You're thinking about trying to hold this together so as not to go over. And, you know, and, and that happens even in our budgets when, you know, when things are super tight. You know what this feels like when you're you know, checking your bank account on your phone you know, three, four times a day just to see if you overdrafted or not or that type of feeling. You know what I'm saying? You're not even thinking about your day anymore or who you're called to or what you're supposed to be doing. Your focus is narrowed to the edges of your life because you're trying to manage them, right? Are you guys with me? And then, those, like we already talked about, those margins are the places where we maintain flexibility to actually move with and respond to the voice of God in our lives. And that's in our time, that's in our finances, that's in our relationship, that's in our worship. And it's possible to be so cluttered up that it's hard for us to even make sense of the movement and activity of the kingdom of God, you know? And, and I know that that's not a foreign thing. And even for us around the room, I'm talking about this, and you're like, yeah, I agree with you, but I really have no choice, right? You're looking at your life like, man, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how else I would make this happen. My family and my kids and my job and, and all the things. Like, there's things that demand a lot of me right now, right? And I don't disagree with you, you know? And I... I I also share that with you in a lot of ways. You know, I, I have to walk these conversations out with my family. You guys know that when you're a, a church leader or a pastor, um, 
you get a lot of phone calls, and most of those phone calls aren't people wanting to tell you how great things are going for them. Right? Hey, man, just call and just things are great. Just want to let you know. All right, see you. That would be awesome, right? I, you field a lot of emails, and people are like, hey, you know, things are going on. People with pressing stuff, people that need help, people that need compassion, people that need time. We have a lot of meetings and activity, even around the church, that requires time, and it's good stuff. It's kingdom stuff, and things are moving, and it's great. But even in my, even in my world, and I'm just like most of you, there comes a point in time where it's like, God, for me to be able to move and respond to what you're doing, for me to be able to live on mission, I have to be able to live with margin. And margin is something that God does care about, okay? And so we actually look at another question real quick. How is it that we get here? And that's not, this is not an easy answer. It's not a simplistic answer. I don't know all the details of your life. I'm not going to pretend to know what you walk through or just kind of the spaces of your life. Um, but, you know, some of us could answer that actually very quickly. You could say, oh, you know, it, it's, 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 you just, this is just part of my industry. This is part of my business. This is part of what's required for me. You're probably right. I mean, that, that is probably a good answer to that. Some would say, you know, you know, maybe it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a lack of discipline is all it is. And I just need, I know what I need to do. I need to go get back and I just need to make some changes and adjustments to my life and I can create more margin in my life. Some are like, you know, it's a season. And, you know, and those are, all, those are all actually good answers and the right answers. And you're probably, you're probably absolutely right. But what I would say is, if we just take a step back for a moment, just think about all the practical reasons. See, a lot of us know the right reasons why we are where we are, but we still stay where we are. It just still seems like nothing ever quite changes. We never can quite get to the other side of where this thing opens up, right? And where we have the space back into our life to respond to God. Now, when we look at that, and again, when we start paying attention to conversations, you come time and time again back to this one thing. It's something we have to talk about a lot. And in the church and in the world, the whole thing. But it is the idea of fear. And you hear this come out in conversations. Listen, you know, because if I were to ask you, why don't you slow down that part of your life? You know, why don't you open this up? Why are you living beyond your means, beyond your li- Why are you living all the way to the edges? Why are you trying to pack this thing so full? Well, you know, I, I agree with you, but if I don't do that, I'm afraid that, right? If I back off from this, I'm afraid that blank, right? If I, if I, if I told them I can't come to that meeting, I'm afraid that... If I took my kids out of those events, I'm afraid that. If I told my daughter she can do gymnastics, but she can't do tennis and volleyball and softball and frisbee club, yeah, 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 I'm afraid that she'll, right? And we have these things, and they're all legitimate things, but when you kind of get to the bottom of, for some of us, what it is and what drives us and what causes us to be so afraid of space and so afraid of an open moment, um, it's because we're afraid. A lot of us, we're afraid. we're afraid of what would happen. And because it's not the world we live in, everybody else is maximizing and fitting in and making efficient every possible moment. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I love efficiency as well. But when it costs us our joy, when it costs us our cheap peace, when we trade in our peace for progress and prosperity, then we got problems. You guys hear me? And so what we find in the Bible, the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about 
making margins or, you know, uh, breathing room or it doesn't use those phrases like that. But God definitely talks about this, okay? And this is a thing and it mostly comes up thematically in the ideas of fear being confronted with faith. Because when we really look at this, this whole idea of making space, we go to the ground level. This has to do with a faith thing. It has to do with overcoming fear with bold faith. And that is who you and I are called to be. Faith-filled people. And faith has to reflect itself in the way we live. Right? And so a couple examples in, in the scripture. All the way from the beginning. I'm going to share with you a couple Old Testament examples. And we're going to end with kind of the main passage and text for what Jesus says. Just so you know, I'm going to get to the Bible. I will get there. From the beginning, God made it clear how he wanted us to live, okay? And he talked about these, these places in our life. Now, you go back into the book of Exodus, and you see that the children of Israel, there's a, this whole passage, they were taken into captivity by the Egyptians. Again, you know this. And they were, for hundreds of years, forced to work, and all of their dignity was stripped from them. All of their identity was stripped from them. All of their worth and their value. They were, this is an empire. They were known as what they could produce. They were known by numbers. Their life was not valuable apart from what they were able to produce in a day. And so uh, every day, you know, they had to meet quotas for what they're doing and how they're working and how efficiently they're working. And if they don't, it's literally not just about, am I going to get food today? Or if I'm going to be with my family today? It's, it's about... Could I lose my life today? Could I lose my life over this? And so their entire value was attributed to the work of their hands and how much they were able to produce day after day. And so you can imagine after hundreds of years, even the people of God, the beloved chosen people of God, were, um, were caught into this vicious cycle of being known for their productivity, right? So when God rescues them, from the, des- or from, from the Egyptians that go through the desert, takes them to Mount Sinai, and God re-engages them. And after, you know, absolutely, after hundreds of years of that, he has to renew their minds because they've forgotten how to live. They've forgotten how to think. They've forgotten how to feel. They've forgotten who they are, right? So they go to the mountain, and God has to bring to them a whole new set of ideas to remind them not only of who he is, but of what kind of people they are. And right smack dab in the middle, you know, you know there's the Ten Commandments, and you know, there's more than... Ten commandments in the Old Testament, but these ten commandments were kind of paramount to everything that they, who they were and who they were becoming. And right in the middle of the ten commandments was this idea of honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? Honor the Sabbath, and, which was a wild idea. You guys don't understand how revolutionary. There's, there's, there's no way for us to be able to fully grasp the weight of what it must have been like to be this nomadic culture you know, every day you were relying on your ability to farm and to, to herd cattle and, and the whole thing and your shelter, your whole family and everybody around you was relying on what you could produce in a day. And they show up to this mountain and God says, hey, listen, here's what I want you to do, though. I know that's what you came from. I know that's what you're used to. But I'm, I'm going to give you a new commandment. I want you to take the Sabbath. I want you to take one day of every seven days and I want you to not be defined by what you're producing. And in many ways, it was a gift back to the people of God. I know culturally, everybody sees the Ten Commandments of, oh, God's just trying to get things from us. No, this is a gift back to the people of God. And he's saying, listen, if you take one day, if you, if you can be the type of people 
that don't use up every possible day, every possible moment, every possible minute in your week, but you reserve even an entire day and, and give it to me. And that will keep it holy. And what makes it holy is that I'm going to work on your behalf in that day. And everything that doesn't get done, everything that gets left unfinished during the week, I'm going to move on your behalf. And it's in this space that I'm going to give you that I'm going to prove myself faithful to you. And I want you to trust me in that. And so he gives us the gift of the Sabbath. And Deuteronomy 24, 19 says, says this, When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that your Lord, so the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And, and I know this is, this is easier said than done, but think about this. You're ending your work, and you forget to do something. That's like every day for us, right? Nobody can tackles up their whole to-do list every day. You forget there's something that is left undone. What God was saying is, you know, as it comes to the Sabbath, what I want you to know is that I want you to leave that work, use it to bless these people, and in turn, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take this undone work and turn it around for your blessing. Do you guys know that's the God we serve? He calls us into places of space because it's only in the space that we learn to trust him, right? It's like, but God, this, 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 this thing is not going to get finished if I don't do this. And he says, trust me. But God, I, I don't know what's going to happen if I don't show up to this. Trust me. But God, if, if I don't keep working and keep this pace and keep the machine just cranking and cranking and cranking, he says, no, 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 trust me. And the way God's strategy for overcoming fear is to make us a people of trust. And he's growing us up into a people of trust. Faith-filled, wide-eyed wonder. And we know that the Sabbath... We were not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for us. There is now a Sabbath rest for all who are in Christ. But when it comes to the way we live, even the idea of the Sabbath, it's a gift of space that God promises to meet us in. Okay? Now, even when it comes to money, this shows up in the Old Testament, right? Because we look at this idea of the tithe. Now, I'm not talking about giving right now, but I'm just talking about space. God asked his people to set aside a portion of everything they received, to bring back to him, right? And so they didn't have banks back then. They weren't just, you know, writing checks and debit cards, the whole thing. You know, they're not, you know, giving online. You know, there's, there's none of that. They're not checking their bank accounts during the day. Like, they have money. And, and so what happens oftentimes, you know, in the, in the Hebrew culture, as, you know, if, unless it's like a, a fruit offering, you know, a vegetable offering, a crop offering, or animal offering. You know, they had this money. They would just put it in jars and boxes and just keep it on a shelf, right? And so what was crazy about that is everybody in the house, you know, as, all month long as they're reserving a portion of what God brought to them, they're reserving a portion, putting it in this jar on a shelf. It's just sitting there on the shelf. And people would walk by and say, hey, what's that? Oh, that's what we're reserving for the Lord. And so this whole thing, they, they, would, they would over and over again see it. It's not just they give and just it was out of sight, out of mind. They would see this day in and day out. They'd come home from work and see this thing on, on, on the wall, this jar and this box, and be reminded of what it is they were doing, right? And on the days where they had needs, they would walk home and they would see there is money in that jar. There's money in that box, right? But I'm going to reserve it because God asked me to not live at the maximum amount to not live every dollar spent on me. 
He called us to be a people that reserved a tithe, and even more than that, a stewardship, as overflowing generosity towards the poor, towards the wanderer, right? That, that that would be reserved for him. And so it was a culture where they were asked to maintain a space, even in their finances. And God says, listen, and you read this later, and you, you've heard this at church a million times, and God says, test me in this, right? Make this space available in your finances, Reserve this for me. Don't just maximize every dollar to go to, to raise the standard of living, but reserve this for me and see what I will do on your behalf. I will rebuke the devourer. That's ridiculous. That's awesome. He will rebuke the devour. He will just rebuke the enemy from stealing from us, from, from trying to take from us, right? And he promises protection. And so we read this all, all across the, the Old Testament, then we get to the New Testament, and I love what Jesus, how Jesus brings this into a fullness, because he's a little less practical, but he wants to speak to the heart. He knows all of these things that the Hebrew people were living, and the Jews, the Jews were living, and all these spaces that God was requiring to maintain so they could be a people that marked by his presence, marked by mission. And he knew this about them. And if there's any, if there's any person that we should be talking about that might need some margin, it would be Jesus. Here's a guy that as soon as he started his public ministry, he was just being pulled on and begged on from every corner and every side. But here's what he would say in Matthew 6, talking to the people that were wondering, is this all going to work out? If I don't give every part of my life to everything that demands of me and all these expectations, is this going to work out? Matthew 6, he gets a chance to talk into this. Verse 25. And we love, you've read this passage before, we love this passage, but it's one of those passages that never gets old, okay? He says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. It's almost a little frustrating just to pause. It's almost, I mean, it's almost, it almost seems so simplistic to just say, you know, just don't worry about it, right? Just don't worry about your life. Because you're thinking, I'm worrying about my life right now, and I'm not sure if I have any other choice. Jesus says, listen, don't worry about your life. What you eat or drink or about your body, or what you will wear? Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And so Jesus has taken a whole other approach. He's just saying, listen, we need to get to the ground level of this whole thing. And I believe he's speaking to the sense of fear and the sense of worry and anxiety. His solution is be reminded of what kind of father you have. He continues on. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and, to, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. So he's talking about the Gentiles and all the other gods. They would run after all these things because they had all these other gods, you know, Jupiter and Zeus, and none of their gods cared about them. And that's the point he's trying to make. They all have these gods that they, they have to run and just run in circles and cry out for these things because they're not even sure that there's a God that cares about them. They're just going to try to work them way into this. And he's trying to explain to his people, no, that's not what we're doing here. That's not the kind of God that has invited us into relationship. You have a heavenly Father who knows you, right? 
says, so don't worry about what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, then he says this, this is what I want you to do with your energy, this is what I want you to do with your time, this is how I want you to live your life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of those other things, all these things, they're going to kind of work themselves out. All these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. And I believe that this is the faith-filled life that the Father is inviting us into, you know? And I think for a lot of us, I know it's not the only solution for some of us to find that margin, to find those spaces to experience God, but it does start here. Margin starts with trusting God. When we stop trusting God, we have every reason to work every resource and use up every possible space and dollar and energy in our life on ourselves to protect and preserve. But if we have a God that knows us by name and that loves us and sees us and knows our needs before we even pray, that means we can live our lives differently, not caught up into the vicious cycle, not caught up into this thing of trying to be all things to all people at all times, but ones who can breathe and ones who can reserve and ones who can find God in this space. And I'm telling you what, the reason this is important for us here at Vine Life, the reason that I'm passionate and Bob's going to talk the next couple weeks and we're going to tag team on this series, the reason that this is important is because it has to do with mission. I have too many conversations with people, with both friends and acquaintances and people not even in the church, but especially I'm passionate about those in the church that because there's little margin in their life, it's like their legs are cut out from under them and they talk about the dreams and calls of God on their life and they won't be able to get there until they're able to trust God to create enough space to respond to him in a way that suits the mission that he's called them to. We were created to live on mission and that requires us to protect, to steward the spaces, to honor his name in our lives. Okay. <laughs> it's about learning to live in the spirit of self-control. Don't you guys crave that? God, give us a spirit of self-control. A spirit that knows why we're here. And we don't have to be sucked into this national American dream. We don't have to be sucked into this is the type of life I need to live. We get to create that with God out of bold faith and confidence in Him. It's about growing in conviction in every area of our life. It's about life not happening to us, but us happening to our life. You guys know there's a difference. You can be a person. You can do that. Or just life just happens to you. No, listen, I don't want to be insensitive. That, there's things that happen that are out of your control. And it's put you in very difficult positions. I, am not, I don't want to belittle that. Hear, hear my heart. What I'm saying, though, is that even in the middle of that, God wants us to be the type of people who aren't told by life what our life is going to be like. But through the kingdom of God welling up inside of us, we get to evoke the greatness and majesty and faith of our God into our world and show the world a better way to live. Yeah? And so, it's about living in intentionality, living on mission. And I'll just 
close with prayer. We're going to talk about that the next couple weeks, just a, a few different things. And again, I believe this is good for us. It's good for us. And as we open this up and look at our lives and invite the Lord into spaces, invite the Lord to well up faith and trust to overcome fear, I'm telling you, this is the kingdom of God. This is what that looks like. Can we just pray together today? Um, let's, let's stand. And I want to pray over you. We just want to agree with the Lord. If this is something that you're wanting from the Lord, if this is something that, man, you're in that place of like, man, there's places where I'm afraid of what happens if I adjust these parts of my life. I'm afraid what's going to happen. I'm afraid if I do what you're talking about. I'm afraid of what's going to happen there. It's, it's uncomfortable for me. It's awkward for me. And, and, and honestly, a lot of us, because of the pace of our life, we're even physiologically addicted to adrenaline and different chemicals because of those things. But guess what? God has power to reverse that and to show us how it is we're supposed to live. So I want to pray for you. And if, if that's you, if you just want to receive something, you can throw your hands out here. You can throw your hands up here. You don't have to do anything with your hands. Whatever. Just respond as the Lord asks you to respond. God, I thank you today for the promise of your word, Lord God. I thank you today that you from your own mouth, Jesus, Son of God, incarnate on earth, the one with the greatest mission on earth, with the greatest stakes and the greatest sense of urgency, could speak to his disciples and say, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. I thank you, God, that the Father knows what we need. And I thank you for each area of our lives as we become better stewards of the resources that you've given us, the time, the money, the relationships, Lord God. You're teaching us, God, how to live forcefully and advance the kingdom of God with power and with conviction, Lord God. I thank you for the Spirit of God to confirm this in our hearts and for us and families and spouses, not to beat each other up with these types of things, Lord, but to encourage each other to find spaces and to invite God into spaces. God, I thank you. It's in those spaces that you promised to move in power. And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Thank the Lord.